We'll give this one more shot. A reading from Luke, the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my, the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who sent me to be judge and arbitrator over you? And the man said to Je- and Jesus said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and the man thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to the man, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. So uh, I mentioned earlier that this is both a a joyous day for me because I, I get to worship with y'all and I do love to lead worship in a variety of congregations and get to see all the different ways that, that people worship around the state of South Carolina, at least so far. But this is also a, a challenging day for me because I don't know when the next time I lead worship, when the next time I preach will be because this date wasn't even on my calendar two weeks ago. And I don't have any other dates to lead worship on my calendar, and I don't yet know what my last day will be. You know, so we know that my wife starts her new job in Boston on September 3rd. But, you know, I was standing in the sea of boxes that used to be my home, but is now a house that we own on Wednesday. And uh, I looked around and realized that our home for the last 13 years is no longer our home. And I started thinking about the office that I have yet to pack up. And I started to think about all the ministries that I shepherd and love. And all the people that I do ministry with and I love. And all the different ways that I've had the privilege of serving God for the last four four and a half years in this role. And, you know, I'm I'm not one who, who cries a lot. But my wife taught me a term. I had a little bit of a come apart in the house that day. And it's not because I necessarily think of myself as, as having a whole lot of, well, a whole lot of anything really. I I'm grateful for the things that I have. And even though I'm like everyone else and I see a new iPhone come out and I say, Oh, that might be nice. I, I really do spend a lot of my time very grateful for the things that I have and for the things that I do and very grateful for the people with whom I'm privileged to do ministry for my family and the friends that I have. But you have those moments where prior to just a little bit ago, you'd been, been thinking about, I don't know, it might be a bigger barn, might be a, a bigger house. It might be, you know, the, the different things that we think of when, when we think about what progress looks like in our lives. And, and it may be the case that we're not people who necessarily want a lot of things. But, you know, if you're anything like me, you certainly want the things that you want. Right. And, and I don't know about you, but the things that I want, I really want those things. And, you know, this week, one of the things that I feel like I really want is stability. Wouldn't that be nice to have a little bit of stability? 
And it's interesting because before about Wednesday, because it's been a busy week and I hadn't read the gospel yet, Wednesday after I had my come apart, I sat down in the evening at my aunt's house where we're living right now and looked at the gospel for the first time and I saw this story. And there's a lot of moments in my life where all of a sudden the gospel hits my heart. This was a gospel that was dead on the nose for what I needed to hear this week. Because even though I, I knew that life was going to change, you know, I, I still until that day had kind of been living in the illusion that things were still going to be kind of the same. Because, you know, Boston might be a long way away, but that doesn't mean I'm never coming back here, right? I mean, my parents live here. My wife's parents are down this way. I mean, we'll, we'll be back. But then we have those moments where we realize just how tentative, just how fragile everything in our lives really is. And when we're in those moments where all of a sudden everything changes, all of a sudden we realize kind of just how vulnerable we really are. Don't we just spend an awful lot of our lives doing our very best to ignore that, that vulnerability? You know, we, we buy a safer car because a safer car is safer. That means I can drive faster and it's safer, right? Or at least that's my logic. You know, we have, we have the bigger and nicer house because all of a sudden having that room that protects us from the South Carolina sun, which is significant this year again, you know, it, it makes us feel safer because it protects us from the sun and the wind and the rain. You know, my, my dad has a tractor that has air conditioning now. Holy cow, can you think of anything that's designed to make you feel safer than that? A tractor that has air conditioning? You know, who'd have thunk it? You know, there's all kinds of things that make us feel safe. One of the things that our culture is struggling so hard with right now, as we hear, and, and this is something that people have opinions about, but I'm using it as an example. I'm not using it as politics. When we hear people talk about the border, what we're really hearing people talk about is safety. How are we going to remain safe? Is there a way to protect ourselves? Is there a way to keep us safe from them? And then we have this reminder, like we have twice in 14 hours in El Paso and in Dayton, where it's not them out there who people become afraid of. But in the words of Opus, we've met the enemy and it's us. You know, when we realize that our safety is really an illusion and vulnerability is really our reality. And part of what makes this gospel today so poignant for my life, for our culture, for our church, is, is a word that we don't use as often very much anymore, but I think is used a lot in the gospels and throughout the Bible, but it's the word fool. You know, I, actually my first exposure to that word that I remember was on the A-team back in the 80s. When B.A. Baracus, played by Mr. T, used to say, I pity the fool. And I'll, maybe some of y'all remember that, right? But, but you know, when, when we talk about fool, a lot of times what we think about is a word that's kind of means the same thing as dumb. That kind of means the same thing as stupid. But a fool isn't someone who's dumb or stupid. A fool is someone who places value in unwise things. You can be the smartest person in the world. You can be the cleverest person in the world. You can be the most resourceful person in the world. 
Even though we hear this man say, I'm going to tear down my old barn and build a bigger barn. And because we know what happens to him that night, of course it sounds crazy. It doesn't sound like he had any reason to expect he was going to die that night. You know, I could die tomorrow, but I'm still going to put money in my 401k, right? But the thing that made him a fool is that he valued the things that he could do. He valued the things that he could build. Now, I'm going to change this. I value the things that I can do. I value the things that I can build. Only I can can accomplish this. Only I can fix it. Only I can do these things that have been given to me to do. And do we hear where the wrong focus is? It's all about me. And that's one of the things, and by the way, where the sidewalk ends, one of my favorite books of all time. It's on my shelf in my office. You know, one of the things that, that I hear in today's gospel and in today's children's sermon is that sometimes the very thing that we want is the worst thing for us. Another one of my favorite books of all time is by a man named C.S. Lewis, and it's called The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, a man has a dream that he has died and wakes up in hell. Now, when we hear the, when we hear the word hell, we have a pretty particular version if we grew up in the United States and we grew up in our culture, which I assume most of us have. We think of the fiery place with, you know, with tridents and people poking us and, you know, all sorts of manner of torture. But what's interesting is this isn't necessarily the biblical version of hell. And it's not the version of of hell that C.S. Lewis talks about. And I find C.S. Lewis's version to be even scarier. Hell is this gray place where everybody gets exactly what they want. And, you know, when we first think about it, you know, I like getting what I want. I started out my sermon by talking about how I like getting the things I want, right? But think about if we got everything we ever wanted. If we used our 5 billion, 800 and some odd million wishes and, and we were to get everything we wanted. Half the time what I want is more ice cream. And, and you don't get in this kind of shape accidentally, I tell you what, right? Half, half the time what I want is is quiet around me sometimes, especially when I get home from work. But I have a 16-month-old. And I have a wife who likes to talk to me, and I like to talk to her too. So if I had quiet at home, I'd be lonely. My wife would be unhappy. And my daughter wouldn't be around. You know, I might want that, but is that what's good for me? Is that what's good for my marriage? Is that, what, is that what's good for my child? Is that what's really good for my household? Sometimes what I want is safety and security. And, you know, some people are so afraid of the things that might damage them, of the things that might threaten them, of the things that might change around them, that they're afraid to walk out the doors of their house. You know, is that what we want? We call that agoraphobia. I sometimes wonder whether some of our congregations don't experience that. You know, we, we get so wrapped up in everything that we've always done We get so wrapped up in the way things have always been. And Jesus Christ and the disciples, you know, they were the ones who prayed all these prayers that we have in the sacred green book. But if y'all were around before 1978, then you can remember when the sacred green book was that upstart new hymnal that's replacing the sacred red book. And we had to learn all those new hymns and learn all those new prayers. And God help us. 
Because Jesus Christ and his disciples used the Holy Red Book, right? And, and so we do all these things, and all of us do it, to make ourselves more comfortable. And how foolish we are sometimes, because we see the things that we do to protect us become the things that threaten us. Because when we get everything we want, and we try to preserve those things that cannot be preserved, and we try to hold on to those things that cannot be held on to, then we are foolish. Because there is only one thing that is constant, and there is only one thing that is internal, and there is only one thing that is promised to never change, and that is the love of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and through the waters of baptism where we hear that we are marked by the cross of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit forever, through the meal of communion, where we hear that God's love leads God into places where God did not want to go because Jesus would not have chosen that cross if it were simply up to Him. We know because the Bible says so. And we learn that what it means to love is to become vulnerable. What it means to love is to take risks What it means to love is to go into those places where things are changing and things are new and things are challenging the way things have always been. Where there are people who are kind of unfamiliar to us because they live in Irmo, you know, where where there are things that we might not be familiar with and learn to see what God is doing there because God's love always leads us outside. God's love exists not only within these walls. But God calls us to love a world that might not love us back. And if we're really being honest with ourselves and each other, isn't that really the thing that a lot of us are afraid of a lot of the time? That I might love someone that doesn't love me back. I might give a part of myself to someone who doesn't appreciate it. That I might give someone to someone who's not deserving or even worse is just going to throw it back in my face and, and make me feel bad. Because at the heart of things, isn't that what stops us so much of the time? Is that we think about doing something good and then we start to worry about ourselves? Might just be me. But I know that when I really look at my heart, I'm the thing that stops me a lot of the time. You know, that's... That's why we do confession and forgiveness, which we might have skipped today now that I think about it. Sorry. You know, that's, that's why, why we talk about what it means to, to live this life of repentance and absolution that we live in the church. It's because we realize that when it comes to understanding and identifying those things that are really important, a lot of the times we're pretty foolish. You know, we argue about the color, not here, but other places argue about the color of the carpet. Or, or they argue about which candle ought to be lit first. Or they argue about whose name ought to be on what plaque at what time. Or what plot someone ought to be, you know, I mean like, these are things that matter. But are they, th- are they the things that matter? Or do they become just one more thing that we use to divide us? You know, we have in Paul's letter to the Colossians today, 
something that I find really important. It's another one of those places where he talks about Greek or Jew or slave or free. You know, in another letter he says male and female. You know, in, in Christ, in the church, in God's kingdom, which is different than the kingdom in which we live outside of these walls, but it's the kingdom in which we are called to be citizens every day of our lives. Our values are different because within the church, there is no dividing line between us and them. Through the waters of baptism and the meal of communion, there is only us because that is how God's kingdom works. So I find myself, on the one hand, deeply challenged by today's gospel that asks me where my real treasure is. Because I got to tell you, I find that a lot more of my treasure than I thought is in that house that's no longer my home. A lot more treasure than I thought is in the identity of being a pastor in the South Carolina Synod, which I love. A lot more of my identity than I realized is, is tied up in all the things that, that I've been doing. And the challenge is that God says to me, fool, where is your treasure? And the grace for me in this gospel is being able to hear where that treasure lies truly. But it's in the love of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that calls me into God's kingdom day after day after day, every day of my life and every day beyond, whether I'm living in South Carolina or whether I'm living in Boston. You know, whether I'm preaching in Silver Street or whether I'm preaching in, I don't know, whatever small towns exist up there. You know, whether... You know, whether we're inside the doors of this congregation or whether we're out there in the middle of wherever out there is, whether it's on this side of the border or that side of the border, whatever side of the aisle you sit on and whatever place there is an aisle, we in the church are joined by an ethic that is different than the ethic of our culture because the church calls us to be one. And the challenge through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new life and new hope and new existence and new ability that we have in that is to look at our world and see the ways that God is changing the things that divide us into things that unite us and ask the question, where is God in this thing that challenges my comfort? And sometimes it's kind of easy. And sometimes it's in a cancer diagnosis. And sometimes it's in the death of a loved one. And sometimes it's in problems in the church with people we've known our whole lives that we're in conflict with. You know, sometimes it's with members of our family who love us, but God help them, they just can't be nice to us. You know, sometimes figuring out where God is in the midst of these situations that challenge us, where God is calling us to be vulnerable rather than defensive are the most difficult places we've ever gone. And we find this gospel to be challenging. And yet, we have freedom in this gospel because Christ has gone before us. And God is there with us. And we have, through these same waters of baptism, in which we are marked and sealed, and this meal of communion that nourishes us, Not just a sure and certain hope or trust, 
but the promise and covenant of the Almighty God who calls us God's children that says, where you are, I will be also. And there is no place in this world that you can go where I am not already because everything already belongs to me. So this week as you go out from this place, you go out into your lives and you go back and do the things you normally do and maybe a couple things you're not used to. Ask yourself the question, where is God here already? And then here's the hard question. How am I going to respond to that? Amen.